All right, welcome to another episode of Creator Support, the show where, Colin? Creators give us questions, and we give them answers. That's actually the cleanest tagline we've had. That's like the best description of the show so far. But if you're new here, we do this weekly show where we answer your questions. And these questions are starting to come from all types of different places. The questions are coming from our forum in our newsletter, The Published Press. The questions are now coming from Reddit. They're coming via email. We're we're basically like fielding questions from all over the place and putting them into this one show to answer them for you. Because if one creator has a question, it's likely that other creators have that same question. And these questions that keep coming in are from people who are building businesses on not only YouTube, but Instagram, TikTok, podcasts, newsletters. We've seen a wide variety of questions come in. All right, on today's episode, we're gonna talk about YouTuber employee salaries, as well as what to do when you have an underperforming video, and if you should still go to college or just try and make a living as a creator. All right, let's get into it. All right, a couple of updates as we get into this week's episode. Number one, probably the most exciting, we've crossed 280 members of our Reddit community, Colin. I thought you were going to say 800,000 subscribers on YouTube, but I agree. That is very exciting. I mean, that's very exciting too. Our Reddit is rising. The Reddit community has been just so incredibly exciting. I, I, I feel like it's this brand new world that we've been introduced to and a subset of our audience that is just so creative and engaged. So if you're part of the Reddit, thank you very much. Uh, we're going to be answering some of your questions from the Reddit, but also... We crossed 800,000 subscribers on YouTube, which is awesome. And we're so close to 1,000 reviews on this pod on Spotify. So if you haven't yet reviewed the pod and you're liking it, it'd be great if you could give us a review. It really helps us out to help spread this pod. The first thing we're going to talk about is going back to this week's interview with Ryan Trahan, which personally was one of my favorite interviews we've done and such a cool time to catch a creator and talk to him right before this 30-day series that he's done. And just to kind of talk about the moment that he's at right now, this series has been going on for seven days as of this recording, and it's done 30 million views, like new views on the series. And that's a week in. Now, he's also raised like $250,000, which is over 2 million meals for Feeding America. I mean, what an incredible success this daily series has been. Yeah, and if you're unfamiliar with Ryan's series, if maybe you haven't watched our interview with him yet, what he's doing here is he's starting with a penny in Los Angeles, and he has to try and find unique ways to make money to get him across the country to eventually deliver a penny to Mr. Beast. And he's giving himself 30 days. And what's really interesting is there's a lot of rules involved, one of which is the Great Reset, which means that if anyone donates $50,000 to Feeding America on his behalf, however much money he has goes back to zero and he has to start over. Goes back to a penny. He has to start again from a penny. And it's this really unique mix of a daily vlog, but also a challenge video, which is part of his genre. I don't think we've ever really seen anything like this on YouTube where you have this overall goal and mission and story happening, but you're also following it on a daily basis. I think it's the first time since Casey Neistat that we have appointment viewing on YouTube. And what appointment viewing means is 
it's like must-see TV. Like you can't miss it. Every morning, I'm hooked to it at this point. Now I wake up in the morning and I can't wait to watch Ryan's vlog and see where he's at, see what's happened, see what's transpired. And the, the really interesting thing about having a fundraiser that's attached to it is he he has, he referred to it this morning as a philanthropic supervillain. And I thought that was such a great way to frame it that if someone donates 50,000, he has to set back, he has to reset and go from zero. But it's like a really positive thing if someone, uh, you know, donates $50,000. But it, it, in the video series, it's it's viewed as like a negative, it's like a setback for him. So it's a really cool stake that he's introduced. And there was a question in our Reddit just about the series as a whole, because someone has donated $50,000. Actually, two people have. And Jimmy has basically said, Mr. Beast has said he's also going to donate 50000 He just doesn't know when. Um, but this question comes from Reddit. It's from Sir Yacht. He said, this is a question for Colin and Samir or anyone really. So Ryan Trahan is currently filming his I Survived on a Penny for 30 Days series and releasing in real time, which is insane to think about. As someone who is interested in this format for a multitude of reasons, how is he doing this? It looks like he's filming everything on his own. And then I assume he's sending it out to an editor at night or having them upload the next day. Or is it two days out? If anyone has answers, please let me know. Good news. I think we have those answers. Yeah. So when he did his interview with us, he was about three or four days out from leaving and starting the Penny series. And then once he started, I believe it was either three or four days. Four days. He's four, four days, days ahead. Yeah. Four, four days, days to batch produce. And he has two of his employees with him, Preston and Zach. Preston's filming. Zach is doing the editing. So he is ahead of schedule and he does have a team helping him. I would assume actually that Preston is probably editing as well because like in today's episode, there's no additional footage outside of Ryan's phone. Just don't spoil um, it for me. I'm only halfway through. Oh God, it's so good. It's it, the series is so good. It's It's so fun to watch. It's so raw. I think Ryan has done this great thing where he's intentionally stripped down his content to make it so personal. But we're talking about viewership that's like, you know, his first episode is 7 million views. It's amazing to see vlogging come back like this, but come back in a way that's conceptual, that's eventized, and that has this light at the end of the tunnel where we all know this series is going to be done in 30 days. I think this is the next wave of content on YouTube where people take more time to produce something, where people are more intentional with putting out content and where they really concept something out before it goes out. Like Ryan mentioned, the most amazing thing is that he came up with the 30 thumbnails prior to going. So, you know, I really love that. And I think another thing that came out on YouTube this this past week or since we since we last talked was Bo Burnham's inside outtakes. I'm curious your thoughts on that, Colin. Yeah, well, it, it wasn't even necessarily Bo Burnham's inside outtakes for me. It was all of the reactions to the outtakes that I found really interesting. Mm -hmm. It seems like Bo Burnham is this kind of guiding light for a lot of creative people and especially YouTubers because he started as a YouTube creator and he represents this very unique individual case study of what it meant to find a lot of success from your bedroom at the age of 16. You know, now we see those stories all the time. You look at the D'Amelios and, you know, all of the TikTok creators who became, you know, well-known during the pandemic. But Bo Burnham was really one of those very early case studies. And he struggles a lot with 
being someone who is on the internet and has an audience. And so what I really liked about the outtakes was that because this one was released on YouTube and not on Netflix, in the comments of the video, you see Drew Gooden and Hank Green and all of these <laughs> creators chiming in and appreciative of this extra footage and this continued conversation that we get to have with Bo Burnham. It's a, it's a different type of thing when he releases it on YouTube, right? Because we're all here. And I think a lot of us creators consider Bo Burnham part of this community. I think what was most interesting was to listen to Rhett and Link talk about this, um, you know, because they they said they came up at the same time as Bo. Like they were they were a part of that crop of YouTube creators at that time. And the difference between what, you know, Rhett and Link are doing and what Bo Burnham's doing um, is I think representative of, of a lot of creators where to be a creator on YouTube, you're putting out a constant stream of thoughts, right? Especially if you're, you know, uh, a creator who's uploading weekly, daily, you know, any sort of regularity, you have a constant th- stream of thoughts. It's like a fire hose of, of, of ideas, thoughts, creativity. And Bo Burnham, who represents kind of someone who's an artist or a filmmaker who can take a long time, take years to put his thought into a single piece. So he can process those thoughts and formulate it into a single piece. And those are two different types of creation. But I think that it's a very unique thing to look at, to, to look at someone like Bo Burnham, who has put so much thought into just one piece and the impact and respect that it gets. I do think just in line with what's happening with Ryan Trahan and even like when you're looking at the way that Mr. Beast is treating the platform, I think YouTube's moving a bit more in that direction of, you know, hey, let's let's put a lot of thought into this concept format piece and then let's put it out. And I think there is a natural kind of tension between those two things right now, the two schools of thoughts. And they're probably just for two different people, right? One is I got to put out a ton of regular content. And one is I'm going to work really hard on this concept and put it out when it's ready. Yeah, I think, you know, hearing Rhett talk about it, he says he wished he didn't have to give so much of himself so often on so many different types of platforms that his business the only way it works is if he is there giving mm-hmm. himself talking nonstop. There's so much that we're putting out there of ourselves on this podcast, being vulnerable, right? And I'm jealous that somebody can be so prolific yet not have so much volume in their output. And it's so much more about the volume with their business than it is with Bo Burnham. And I think. It's not that Rhett and Link have to do that. Yeah, they've built themselves a media company where right now I'm sure they have like contractual deliverables, right? Mm. Where they have to be pumping yeah. out tons of content. They could shift, right? But they would have to kind of shut down their media business. Yeah. And, and it would be a huge risk and a huge gamble if they all of a sudden threw themselves into one project or two projects a year, right? You can't do that when you create overhead, meaning mm-hmm. what overhead means is, you know, if you have rent, if you have employees, if you have um, bills to pay, you you can't take a risk on a single piece. Um, that is that is a big reality. And this is actually something that based on this conversation I wrote about on, on LinkedIn, um, 
which was the difference between being a filmmaker and a media maker. And a filmmaker takes time to process emotion and thought into a single piece, um, whereas a media maker is putting out a constant stream of thoughts through regular content. And as a media maker, what's interesting is you're selling ad slots in advance, which suggests that you're going to find the inspiration to produce that content to fill those spots. But if you, if you don't find the inspiration, you're still going to make the content. And I think that's a really interesting situation uh, for, for when to think about from a longevity of career where it's like, what is a world where I'm not inspired to make the content, but I have to make the content. That's, that's a reality of building a creator media company. And I think that's something to, to really think about for all creators to, to really look at and say, how big do I want this to get? Because if, if one day I decide I want to try something different, I might have just built myself, you know, this this house or this um, situation where I can't. Yeah. Cody Co talked about this uh, recently. I think it was on his second channel about how someone on his Reddit said that he feels less inspired and that his videos are not as good as they used to be. And he just said on his second channel, I'm at a point now where I have these constant ad deals and it would be, I think like just economically, it would be silly for me to turn them down. It's like, I'm going to have a family soon. I want to like be able to stack as much bread as they say, as I can right now. So it's like, yeah, I'm a little bit on autopilot right now. I'm thinking a lot about the fact that I'm not as inspired and it's showing. And I, I don't want to make mediocre shit for too long. I know I have been for the better part of this year, but I'm just, I have been thinking about it a lot and it won't be like that forever. And I think that's a really interesting thing that, yeah, you're not contractually obligated to be inspired to make art mm-hmm. or to make a film. Right. You're contractually right. obligated to put out something. Right. You know, and that's a real and something that's going to work. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, and that's that's really where creators, I think, hit. That's where creators, I think, really hit that wall of purpose. When all of a sudden, this is their career that they've built, but it has become mm-hmm. a job. It has become deliverables. So, just as a, a high level, like we've been having this conversation internally, and I think a big, you know, must do to solve this problem is to slow down the pace. So, just for everyone who's listening, like. Over the next couple weeks, months, you you might see less YouTube uploads from us. Uh, you probably will see less YouTube uploads from us, um, and that's in an effort to, you know, kind of work through and and understand like, on, uh, what does it look like if we only put out the pieces that are really really inspiring to us? Is that a sustainable thing to do? Uh, and I think this is just like y- the other thing that I wrote in this in this LinkedIn post, which is part of my thoughts were. I think you need to organize your business in a way that allows yourself the time to be inspired, the breaks necessary to evolve and reinvent. Um, And a lot of that comes with slowing down the pace. And that is sometimes counterintuitive to any entrepreneur is like, why would we slow down the pace? We're, we're moving fast. Um, But I think it's a, it's necessary. And this kind of bleeds into the next question, which I think is, is part of this conversation, but this comes from Reddit. And the question is, how are YouTuber employee salaries on average? There is quite a bit of info out there on how much YouTubers earn or how to approximate their earnings. With the growth of channels now becoming their own production companies or startups, there's a lot more hiring going around. Production coordinators, office managers, editors. Is there any info on how much 
different positions earn on average, non-manager or agent? Those are pretty clear. Uh, Or does it tend to be competitive to the same positions in traditional media? To work as a brand manager, I work as a brand manager in a Fortune 500 company, or Fortune 50 company, sorry, but I want to pivot to the creator economy. Understand, I initially probably have to drop my salary, so I'd love to get a better understanding of the landscape for the different roles out there. Great question. That is a great question. And I would say there's a wide range and there's really no industry standard set. It's not like traditional film or media where there's unions that lock in certain rates. But I would say if you're coming from a more uh, established industry, like a Fortune 500 company, and you would like to retain that type of rate, I would look at creators who maybe do have more of a built out type of system, even bringing up again, Rhett and Link who have mythical, like that's Mm -hmm. a finely oiled machine that has HR, right? Like that has uh, many levels to it that keep it operating in a way that probably looks a lot similar to a traditional environment. Yeah, I would, I agree. I would start at one of the bigger companies if you're not wanting to take a risk. Um, You know, like there's a ton of bigger creator economy companies, 100 Thieves, uh, you could even go work at a management company. Uh, you could try and work at a company like Mythical, like Colin mentioned. So I, I think, you know, trying those companies that have more traditional, you know, uh, executives in place and formulas in place, uh, that's going to be your less less risky route. And we'll get you the experience to understand how to work with an independent creator. But if you're going to go work with an independent creator, it's going to be a bit scrappy. It's going to be different. Your pay might be you know, there might be creative ways to, to say, Hey, this is the base salary. If that's all you can, you can pay me. And like, we want to keep our expenses low so you can reinvest in the videos, but I'd like to have a percentage of the profits that we generate, you know, in the long term. I think those, there's a lot of deal structures like that, but you have to be willing to play in a world that doesn't have much roadmap. Um, and you have to create it. So yeah, that's, that's the advice is explore some of those more, you know, those companies that are maybe startups have, you know, venture funding or really established media companies. And then those will be, those salaries are going to be commiserate to another traditional media company or, you know, gamble a little bit and say, I'm, I'm down to come in on the ground floor, but I need some incentive on the back end. Um, and I think a lot of creators would be willing to do that right now. But like we just mentioned beforehand, like when you're a media company, now you need staff, you're going to start hiring. Um, so Yeah. But you have to be have to be okay with the level of volatility when you're working with a creator. A creator is also a creative, an artist, someone who has different emotions on different days, feels differently about certain types of content on different days. You have to be okay with that. Also, a lot of creators lock in short-term brand deals. So it's not like they have very fixed monthly recurring revenue, which is right. why it's harder for creators of certain sizes to commit to salaries. Yeah. So. Yeah. And also, even though like, if you're betting on AdSense, right, like here, here's how much YouTube, the platform pays me, uh, that can vary drastically. So it depends on what, what is the business, uh, like where, how stable is the business actually? Is it, is it month to month on brand partnerships? Is it AdSense based? Is it, you know, merch based? Like what is the business? Uh, and then you can step in and look at like what's commiserate in, in other companies. Samir, before our All next right. question, I want to do a quick yep. shout out. Okay. To Raymond Kahuma from Uganda, yes. who we shouted out in the published press, yep. who is actually like, a, a, as we wrote, a Ryan Trahan-esque creator mm-hmm. who does challenge videos. 
I just think it's so cool that we shouted him out in the published press and he posted about it on his Instagram story, tweeted about it, and the tweet has 257 retweets. I saw that. Which it's amazing. is amazing that, you know, we don't speak about international creators that often. Like we're very much in the US, sometimes Canada, yeah. uh, the UK, but I just love uh, seeing the response to this coverage in the published press and thinking about how uh, interesting all of these other international creator communities are. Like there's just- Yeah, and Raymond, just to be clear, Raymond is from Uganda, uh, yeah. Ugandan creator. And that, that like, it's so cool that he has such a tight-knit community. It's such an engaged community. Like I, w when he posted about us, we were getting tagged from hundreds of accounts. Yeah. Hundreds. Uh, I think that was like the first creator we've covered in the published press that's had that vocal of a community. Yep. So that was really cool and is really cool. And um, should have Raymond on the pod, like uh, on creator support to talk to him about um, just what he's up to. Yeah, we should. But yeah, that, that was super cool. All right. Now we have a question that came through Reddit, but it came in video form. This was like highly upvoted in our Reddit. And uh, we're going to listen to it right now and play it for all of you and then respond to it. Dear Colin and Samir, this is a creator support question. My channel is finally big enough where my YouTube income has matched my full-time salary income last month for the first time. Very exciting. When I first started, I was just making videos about whatever I was doing at my warehouse at the time. Some DIY, some photography stuff, some infotainment stories. But I managed to whittle all that down to cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, Bitcoin mining, some immersion cooling setups for Bitcoin miners, and a couple of stocks that I follow really closely. Of the things that I like to make, these seem to do the best, and now I have this whole little community. I have a huge interest in making videos about completely different subjects too though. In the last creator support, you talked about how subscribers aren't necessarily the most important thing to a channel's viewership anymore, or if they ever were. Do you think that means that if I make, for instance, a one-off video about the new a7 IV Sony camera, and the video's really good, will it find its audience? Or will it just annoy my regular subscribers because they came for the Bitcoin stuff? Usually when I first post a video, like 80% of the views come from browse or YouTube recommendations. But I'm unclear if browse is people who normally watch my channel, or if it's just people who watch other videos that are like this video. Should I be starting a second channel for just everything else and keep the crypto one crypto? Thank you. You guys are my favorite YouTubers overall. I mean that. Also, Colin, you were drinking a Topo Chico in that Ryan Trahan video I just watched, so I'm drinking a Topo Chico in this video now. You, as a fellow elder statesman of YouTube, have influenced my sparkling water selection, so thank you. Topo Chico. <laughs> How about that? I just gotta give a huge shout out to Topo Chico who sent us five to six cases of Topo Chico, um, which is awesome. Uh, that was, that was an awesome question by the way. And so cool to, to hear it and have it in like video form, uh, that we got to watch and audio form for all of you to listen to. Great question. I love that. Samira and I used to make videos, uh, that we would call or that we would say had an audience of one. So yeah. when we were a little bit lost on YouTube and making videos about every sort of thing and not really finding any viewership, not really building a community. We decided to just dial in and say, hey, what if we could connect with this one person and we'll make a video just for them? And it, it worked time and time again, whether it was Yes Theory or you know, everyone who worked at Beam, which was Casey Neistat's tech company, or even Will Smith one time. And I feel like this was absolutely uh, an audience, a video that was made for an audience of one, which was us, which was really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. So now to the question itself. Um, 
First of all, it's so interesting to hear that you niche down to find you know, your audience via crypto and even like, I think you said Bitcoin mining setups. Like, I don't, that's amazing how, how niche that is. And I think probably incredibly impactful for how niche that is. Now, although we said subscribers probably aren't, you know, the biggest metric of success, I do think, um, it's hard to make a channel that has multiple subjects. And I think that's because brands are consistent and you have to think of yourself as a brand. Um, and even you know, algorithmically, I would say Samir that like, yeah. maybe it's not subscribers, but algorithmically YouTube wants to know what type of creator you are and right. you want to make sure that your value that you're giving is the same. So if you were to upload a video about the new Sony camera and the, all of the information YouTube is going to initially send that to all of the people that have been receiving your Bitcoin centric videos. And most likely right. their initial response is not going to be good because that's not what they're expecting. And yeah. all of a sudden that video will not potentially find the people that you hope it will. Yeah. It's harder to do. There's a world where you can build a channel around yourself, right? That's a, that's harder to do because you have to build an audience for just yourself. And that, that might take longer because subjects are going to vary and you're going to lose people who came for the crypto stuff. And you're going to keep the people who are just like, I like the way this guy, you know, sounds and the way he presents information. And I like to hear him talk about things, but you'll probably have to open up and be more personal than, than covering like cameras and crypto. Um, I, personally, I think you, you do need to have a second channel if you're going to cover camera equipment. Um, I think it's, it's just too different. And I, I'd think of yourself as a restaurant and be like, here's my signature item. Here's why people come. You know, I always come back to those places in strip malls, and maybe it's just in LA, that say Chinese food and donuts. I can't handle those. I can't, I'm not even walking in there because I'm like, which one do you do? Is it Chinese food or is it donuts? And if I don't know, if I don't believe you're an expert in, in something, I'm not even walking in. I want to go to the place that's the expert in donuts and the expert in Chinese food. So my recommendation is to be the expert in what you're doing, the crypto stuff, the Bitcoin stuff. If you feel like you can't imagine doing that over long periods of time and you have to be, you know, more diverse, you might have to just accept the reality that that strategy isn't going to be the best for audience growth. Yeah. I would agree with that. So basically the the answer there is open up a Chinese restaurant, but also open up a donut shop. That's right. There you but go. But if you can't if you can't handle running both of them, choose one. Choose one. There you go. Choose one. Yeah. That was really cool. I like really want more audio and video questions. Like that to me is is so fun. Um, really quick one. This also came from the Reddit. We're pretty Reddit focused today. Um this one is actually a poll that says, how do you usually watch slash listen to Colin and Samir and is pretty like, uh, you know, dominant on YouTube, but Spotify was also like up there, which is really cool. And again, I think we're going to like this audio feed is going to become a lot more, more prevalent and more, it'll be more consistent than the YouTube channel over, over long periods of time. So I think that's really cool. Uh, so to everyone who's listening to this, that means you're one of the, the people who listen on Spotify which is awesome, uh, or wherever you get your pods. Thank you for that. Now, you want to read this one, Cole? Yeah, I'll from read Jack, this next from one. From Jackie. This next one comes from Jackie, and this one comes through the published press. If you subscribe to our newsletter, the published press, you can reply. 
uh, and and ask us your question there. Uh, there's also a link for you to make a submission for the question for creator support. But Jackie says, hey guys, I'm a summer social media intern for a minor league baseball team. My dream job is to work in professional sports media. I was hired here to make more viral TikTok content for the team's official verified account, but it is all getting less views than the stuff my boss posted before I got here. The stuff I've posted has been awesome, in my opinion, great camera quality and engaging, but done really bad numbers online. What should I do since the content I like isn't doing well? P.S. Y'all are the best. I'm a huge fan. Thanks, Jackie. Um, I think you, you know, you guys will have to determine and decide what success looks like. Uh, if success when you came in was, hey, we want to up level the production value. We want everything to look more premium. We want it to look high end. Um, then keep going down that path. But if the, if the question is, how do we build more of a community? How do we build more eyeballs, more audience, more engagement? You're going to have to take a hard look at what you're doing um, with camera quality, right? And say, what was working before? How can we double down? Listen to the audience. Because like we mentioned with Ryan Trahan series, it's like stripped down to him filming with a phone and it's in the millions and millions of views because of the quality of the connection, the quality of the, um, you know, access to the creator. So that that's my first thing is like, first of all, set a goal and say, is the goal more audience or is it higher quality video? And it sounds like the goal here may be more audience. And right. if that's the case, then you have to think from a distribution mindset, which means is there someone you could collaborate with in that area who maybe has already a built-in audience on TikTok? Is there someone that you can invite to the games to make a TikTok with? Is there a universal moment that you could share maybe from like the fan cam, right? Or like of like the mascot in the stands. What are the almost like America's home videos type of moments that you could capture at the game that might translate to a mass audience? I think you know, once you're in that audience game, especially on TikTok, you're competing with every other post on TikTok. And so you kind of have to think what is universally appealing and, you know, are there ways I can already find distribution or collaborate with people who have audience? Yeah, that's a good idea. Are there any like people who are naturally coming to the games who are, who are interesting or formats where you can give more access um, but good luck, Jackie. Uh, I think number one, set set goals with your boss. What's the goal? And and be okay with letting go of camera quality in exchange for quality of connection, quality of community building. All right. Back from the Reddit, Master of None says, what's your process for analyzing an underperforming video? I saw a really cool thread about this, by the way, from Courage, uh, from 100 Thieves. Did you see that? No. Um, he he posted that they did a a series that they invested a bunch of money into, a bunch of time into, uh, and it was with Laserbeam. And it you know they put it out. It took weeks of editing. And they put it out, and it was a ten out of ten. And um, you know did forty thousand views in in the first day, which for them was just not enough, and just wasn't up to their expectation. And he was just suggesting it was so frustrating, and. He updated the thread seven days later saying they went through three packaging changes, title and thumbnail changes, and within a week's time, it was a one out of 10 with a million views. And I thought that was such an interesting um, reality of what you know YouTube is right now, where 
a lot of what you're doing has to do with how you're packaging the idea. But I think you do have to have this unbelievable confidence that the idea was good. <laughs> the idea has to be better than the packaging. And then if your packaging isn't right, there's a solve. You can fix it. So for us, like if we have a video that's underperforming, we'll look at it and be like, did we not communicate the packaging correctly in the title and thumbnail? As well as did the expectation when you clicked through match the packaging that we gave you? So there's a lot of like, you know, features that go into that of figuring that out. But I do think that a lot of times when we talk about it, we look at an underperforming video and if we really believe that was the best packaging for it and, you know, that was the idea and that was representative of it, then we take a look and say, well, maybe that just wasn't the right idea. And we need to learn from how do we not make that decision again from, from that idea. Yeah. I do think that's a really good distinction. You know, it's, it's a hard thing to understand as a creator and to tell yourself maybe that wasn't yeah. a good idea, but you know, that's a huge part of it. And I think, you know, you can only ask yourself the questions so much. So I would advise, you know, if you are unsure, ask other creators, do you think this is the packaging or do you think this is the idea? And be honest with me and try and get, yeah. try and get a pool mm -hmm. of responses from other people because it's, you know, you're connected to the video and sometimes you want it to be a great idea, but you know, yeah. it, might, it might not always be. I also think you have to understand what performance means um, for you right? Like it could be lower viewership, but like the impact on the audience was really significant. Um, and I do think we're moving in a direction with YouTube where depth matters more than width. If you can build a deep connection with your audience, it matters a lot more than, you know, a really wide audience that doesn't have as deep of a, of a connection. Yeah. I think to get specific about that, you know, our Andrew Callahan video has 565,000 views. Mm -hmm. Our Simone Yetch video has 72,000 views. Right. And I'm honestly okay with that because I feel like both videos offer a lot of value. It just so happens that the Andrew Callahan one got sort of stuck in like a algorithmic pipeline and also shared on Reddit threads uh, with members of his community and found more viewership. But I think in terms of, you know, I can't tell you that one gives you more value than another when it comes to educating creators. So right. I'm, I'm happy with both. I agree. Yeah, that was the exact example I was thinking of with the Simone Yetch video, which I'm really happy with. But from a performance, it's one of our, our worst performing videos from a viewership perspective. But I think the impact was there. Yeah. Um, and so I'm, I'm totally happy with that one. This one comes from Chris Dion or I Christian. That, I think that's Christian. I don't know if that's Christian, though, because it's spelled K-R-I-S-T-I-A-N. Huh. I'm going to go with Christian. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to go with Christian. Okay. And you, let us, you please let us know, Christian <laughs> Simons. Uh, you let us know what, which one was correct. I think it's definitely Simmons. Wow. wow. We are, we are on totally different ends of this spectrum. Uh, Christian Simons, let me know if it's Christian Simmons. <laughs> um, all right. The question is, I've been considering working in marketing at a university recently and pitching ideas around how to attract prospective students to invest in their education to become more well-rounded creator. The question was posed before, should I still go to college if I can make a living as a creator? I'm wondering how you would answer the flip of this question. How could universities authentically pitch to prospective students who want to become content creators? I've been following you guys since TLN, East Coast Eyes, anyone? Wow. Amazing. <laughs> West Coast dies, anyone? Um, and I've really enjoyed watching your careers evolve. Awesome. Yeah. Great question. Like if, if 
if, if the most desired career is to become a creator, what does school look like for that crop of people? And, and I can kind of speak to this a bit cause I went to film school uh, and I, you know, I can speak about what that was like, but I'm curious, you know, to hear your perspective first. I think the best thing that traditional college has going for it is that you will be around a bunch of like-minded, interesting people, and even actually people who aren't like you. And it's hard to recreate that outside of a college setting. It's so easy to find someone that you want to create with in college because you're naturally with people all the time and your classes force you to do that. And collaboration is such a big part of being a creator Mm -hmm. that I think you need those reps of working with other people and giving yourself the time to get inspired and even see what you want to talk about. Most creators we speak with don't know what they want to talk about. They know they want to create videos. They Mm -hmm. know they want to tell stories. College is such a good time to meet people and find out what you're truly passionate about. So I think what was really interesting for me is my major in college at UC Santa Cruz was film and digital media. And a lot of my classes from my sophomore year on were classes where I had to come up with ideas, film them, edit them, and then show them in front of the whole class. That, and there were short videos, five minute videos, right? So that required, like you mentioned, a lot of collaboration. It required feedback. It required me to write, to think, to edit, to have to show people my work. And I think that is the obvious direction for colleges and universities where it's saying, put someone in place who understands YouTube and allow them to do that exact same process, but for YouTube, and then maybe allow the students to post on YouTube too and say, I'm working on my channel in class. You know, I'm actually like producing content that can go on my channel and I can get feedback from the broader audience And we can try and craft things. Even the few days that we spent, anytime I've spent time with a bunch of creators, you learn stuff really fast. And if you're making and showing creators and they're reacting to it and like you're publishing and you're going through the ups and downs, the university that does that first is going to have the reputation of being like YouTube you or creator you where like similar to if you went to the University of Florida and became an NFL player It's like if you go to this university and take their YouTube class and then you become a professional creator, that university is going to have an influx of much more more kids who are like, wait, I can go and incubate my career first here with guidance, with community, with the tools, with uh, good editing computers, with cameras, with sets that I I can play with. And then I can go off and have a career when I leave. It's the same thing with sports, right? I think creators are kind of like athletes as the more I've been thinking about it, where we are like these people who need to be coached, incubated. We need feedback. We need a team. um, And then we can be sent off, you know, on our own. Also, I think one of the most important things about being a creator is learning how to serve a community with what you make. And in college, you have all these communities around you. For me, the first time I truly became a creator was when I started a written blog for just my lacrosse team for the 55 Mm -hmm. guys on the team and maybe some of the alumni. Uh, And that was an amazing place to start where it was, I'm going to create these written posts every week. And I know exactly who the audience is. And it was that experience of seeing the comments on my Google blogger account that got me excited to eventually turn that into video. Yeah. 
Totally. I think, uh, I think it's, it's like someone's going to do it, uh, or it's going to happen digitally. Um, I'm getting the incredible itch to make another course. Uh, I feel very passionate about how creators can learn and how someone can take an idea and turn it into a reality and even broader, like take this concept of being a creator and turn it into a career. I think they're like, it can only happen through people who have done it before. Um, and I think that's probably the biggest barrier for universities is where do you find these people to come work at your university and, and teach this class? Which by the way, if any university deans are listening, I would love to eventually do that. That would be amazing. Like to teach YouTube at USC, UCLA, or even go back to Santa Cruz and be a teacher, a professor of digital content, uh, digital creators. God, I would love that. I mean, I think we can probably make that happen. Uh, maybe it'll eventually happen. I think That'd it'll be great. happen. Yeah. yeah. That, um, feels like a, that feels like a good place to end. That's a good, that's a good place to end. The, there's a lot of other questions we haven't gotten to. We'll get to them uh, in creator support, uh, in audio forum, but we'll also get to them on our Reddit and you guys can tweet at us. And, you know, the Reddit, I think, is probably our best place to like have questions surface to the top, answer them, communicate with you guys. So if you want to join r slash Colin and Smear, go check it out. Otherwise... We'll see you next week. Right.